0: This is Chip in Durham,
1: Erica Edmonton, and Shannon in Durham.
0: And welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 94, Learning Curve. It's a generic title. I'm going to say it right didn't... off the top. It's a generic episode. Welcome to Season <laughs> 5, everybody.
2: You know what? It's It's generic, but it, this one, at least, you watch the first, like, even just the cold open, I believe, of the episode, and you can kind of understand what it means and how it fits in, at least a little bit.
0: This, this is very true. And, you know, I, I say that right off the bat, but I, I didn't hate this episode at all. There was a lot to like no. about it. But this is two episodes in a row where Babylon 5 is kind of the story of characters that are not part of
2: Babylon 5. As a matter of fact, Stephen wanted – he asked me and I had no idea. Uh, he wanted to know if, if perhaps they were shooting the two TV movies, Third Space, and in the beginning – at sort of at the same time as they were shooting these two episodes, because he was a bit uh, discomfited by the lack of his, his beloved Babylon 5 characters in these two episodes. So no, I was like, I have no idea what the production was. No, no idea.
0: The, uh, the the movies were done before Series 5 production, uh, Season 5 production. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm in Britain now. Um, <laughs> the movies were huh. done before Season 5 started production, so... This so what's does, her excuse? <laughs> yeah, it, it does feel very much like a, quote, Dr. Light, close quote, episode. Um, mm-hmm. But all is forgiven because Turhan Bay is back.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Ter-Hen- I will say some is forgiven.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we may—we'll I, I, get into the episode recaps, and we'll be all formal about it and stuff. But uh, if you didn't recognize the actor playing Sekh Ter-Vall, the religious cast— The chatty Mimbari. Ranger (laughs) instructor. That's the same dude, Turhan Bey, who played Emperor Turhan of the Centauri in season two.
2: I recognized him, but I had to look him up to remind myself where I knew him from. And I was like, oh, of course, I know him from Babylon 5.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I saw when his name went through the credits, I was just like, oh, my gosh, he's back. Um, but I did not twig which Mimbari he was for a while because uh, no facial hair and, you know, bone instead of bald head and so forth <laughs> uh, and all that. Yeah, Um Yeah, I mean, I'll grant that this was a generic title, but, you know, like you said, it fits the story of the Ranger trainees. It also, for me, kind of fit Lockley, you know, trying to, you know, get settled in now that she's sort of got sort of the station itself kind of running the way she wants to. Now she has to deal with Garibaldi and more diplomatic situations. She's, you know, got to deal with Delenn and uh, all of these things that she's never encountered before.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, let's do the episode's recaps, and then we'll dive right in on Learning Curve. If you're discovering the podcast for the first time and uh, want to dive in with the episode of the week, here is everything that happened in the previous uh, 93 episodes and some change. Well, not everything, but the stuff that's relevant, what you need to know Babylon 5 is a formerly neutral space station at the heart of many space empires that is now the seat of an interstellar alliance. As a hub of commerce and diplomacy, there's also a sizable underclass in the area of the station known as Down Below, where people who were looking for a fresh start and failed landed hard. Organized crime is rampant, and Station Security Chief Zach Allen is hard-pressed to keep up even when the major gang boss couldn't breathe oxygen and looked like a giant mantis. Nagrath, remember him? Mm -hmm. But b 5 security isn't the only law in these here parts, partners. The new interstellar alliance has muscle of its own in the Rangers, a one-time Minbari military organization that first took on human allies and now has opened itself up to the full alliance to keep the peace. That brings us to this episode, Learning Curve. Two ranger leaders and two recruits come to B5 for a business meeting with Dolin. While exploring down below, one of the recruits, Tanier, tries to intervene when a thug setting himself up as the new Negrath is trying to lure Alan into an ambush. The thug figures any lawman will do and has Tanier beaten within an inch of his life. All of the rangers on the station respond, helping a partially recovered tenure face his fear and take down the assailant. Meanwhile, covert intelligence director Michael Garibaldi and station captain Elizabeth Lockley's working relationship continues to be fraught. As Garibaldi confronts her in public over her remaining with Earth Force during the Earth Civil War and tries to figure out why Alliance President John Sheridan still trusts her. Sheridan seems to share some information on that last subject with his wife, Delin, And as we fade the black, it looks like it's going to be a long, cold, lonely night for him. And that is Learning Curve. Uh, as I said, <laughs> second episode in a row that's driven by guest characters. We've got two Minbari ranger instructors, basically, leaders. One religious cast, one uh, warrior cast, and two recruits same applies and this has been a this is sort of a deeper look at the mimbari culture and the mimbari characters than we've had in a while um we've spent so much time on the centauri and the narn and of course the earth alliance uh, during the earth civil war it's good to have our old friends back and have a little bit more world building with the mimbari again i think
2: yeah we haven't really seen much since the since their <laughs> brief civil war so it's nice to know that things are sort of leveled out as much as they can be. Although I get the I get the feeling that these particular two Mimbari leaders have known each other for a long time. So uh, I would assume that they, on a personal level, are very pleased that the civil war is over, so they can go back to it being being friends, basically bickery friends, but friends.
0: Yeah, I figured that they were rangers. I, I think that they were rangers during the conflict and probably weren't at each other's
2: throats. Ah, uh, that makes yeah, sense.
1: Yeah, I, I liked that there was sort of a generational contrast going on too, because you had the two older Membari that you know, as you said, were bickering and uh, teasing at each other, even as they you know made their points. But then you had the two younger rangers, um, you know, even in the meditation going at each other a bit and that that felt more like needling than uh mm-hmm. good than banter. Uh so it was interesting to see the contrast that you know while this older generation of rangers um has come together and are able to overlook their cast differences the younger guys are still learning. Haha. Curvily.
0: <laughs> but you know you don't get a better learning situation, uh, a better learning experience or learning opportunity than to hop onto a shuttle and go to Babylon 5, the home of peace. Oh, God. <laughs> the greatest the field trip
2: ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I like the characters, all four of them. Tanir is sort of your basic your, your basic ingenue. You know, he's, he's sort of come straight out of Hogwarts here. Uh, but... You see a character arc for him. I'm really fascinated. We only got a hint of what Marcus was talking about back in a late delivery from Avalon about Morad Dun, the application of terror. You know, the um, mm-hmm. the the sort of Minbari training thing. We get a lot more of that, and it was interesting, especially now in 2017, to see characters talking about terror with entirely different implications back at the time than we might use today. I think we, I think JMS, mm-hmm. if he were writing this now, would possibly have chosen a different term. But mm-hmm. what did you all think of what happened to Taner and how the Minbari handled that and what it sort of revealed about Minbari character? Was it enjoyable to watch?
1: I'll be honest, uh, when watching the episode... I had forgotten the uh continuity connection and I was spending a decent portion of uh that that subplot scratching my head going like you know, I'm not, Rangers really do this? This feels out of left field. Was JMS just trying to, you know, tack on new stuff to make things interesting? And it wasn't until I went back and looked at the lurker's guide and such and saw that, no, this has been brought up before, and this is a thing. And, you know, now knowing that, uh, that certainly, you know, got rid of the left field feeling, the, the actual staging of it to me still felt a bit over the top in places uh you know the the pronouncements of the of the teachers and you know and maybe it's just the teacher and me sort of scratching my head going like this is not how i would do a field trip guys <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i thought it
2: was fine um i didn't really feel like it was was out of left field i thought it you know sort of was like okay this is this is how they do their training that makes sense i guess i mean maybe maybe i've just gotten too comfortable watching limited series television we we talk about that a lot how you know in this day and age you don't have a lot of throwaway not quote. Co- i hate the word throwaway i don't want to say throwaway Bottle. episodes but Bottle. but episodes that were not you know not uh not do- contained in the the entire plot not specifically bottle episodes. that's a slightly different thing Mm -hmm. but just just episodes that aren't arc based and I think I was just kind of like okay so this is this is a thing how does this tie in and it really it doesn't um, in any way that that I can see Uh, I guess it's moderately interesting it just wasn't it didn't really grip me I didn't think it was poorly done I didn't think it was bad I just thought it was kind of kind of there and just sort of fine. I mean, I I love Tarhan Bay, he's great. He, he was like the warm beating heart of this this episode for me. Every time he was on screen, I was happy. But the actual like what was going on with those guys really just didn't grip me very much. I mean we've had we've had quite a few, you know, down below person tries to take over or tries to hurt somebody or tries to sabotage something and this just seemed like this honestly it felt very first season to me um just in in the plot in the way that it's it's just a one-off kind of kind of story with a bunch of extra people and a and a main bad guy who is really over the top and not very good and uh, as Stephen called him a a young old colin farrell
1: <laughs> yeah, but that was you know first. Yeah, I had a I had some feelings of first season ishness to this episode as well. Um, mm-hmm. Although the subplots meshed together, you know they, they actually wound up uniting it because you know we've got Zach on one side and Garibaldi, um, just sort of hovering around him, but Zach dealing with all of the underworld stuff and the Membari coming in from a different angle. Um, You know, the neatness of it worked better for me. Uh, The actual topic itself, as you said, not quite grabbing me.
2: Yeah, the the part of the Mambari, um, well, and I guess, ranger uh, culture mm-hmm. that actually that I found interesting and that gripped me is the fact that they have opened it up to all races mm-hmm. and integration is proving difficult. I thought that was interesting. We yes. only got one conversation about that where Delenn sort of, dis- you know, figures out how best to use a Pakmara who wants to be a ranger. And I mean, I think I would have liked better a story that was maybe set on Minbar that You know, dug into that a little bit more, whereas the Mm. terror and facing your fear thing, I just sort of shrugged at it.
0: I kind of liked it. I was interested in how a character deals with trauma and the notion of facing your fear, facing your experience. And maybe it was hokey, but I kind of liked it. After Tenier takes down Trace. And his teachers immediately sort of swoop in and what did you learn? And when Turval asks how he feels and gives him a couple of options, and Tanir's response is pity. That was kind of an interesting moment. That was <laughs> um that was the sort of thing that after all of this all this sort of paramilitary uh stuff that the Mimbari are doing and and it does feel, as Lockley puts it, kind of vigilante-like um, for it to come down in the end to the word pity, which communicates that the rangers really are intended to be uh, s- sort of an enlightened police force. I liked it. I I, I honestly did like it. It was- wasn't the most gripping plot line in five seasons of Babylon 5, but I liked seeing this character go through what he did and come out stronger.
1: Yeah, I think there's, um, and this may be, you know, JMS taking advantage of the fact that he got a fifth season and had more opportunity to tell story. But there, I, I sensed a lot of the writer voice in this episode. Uh, the moment you mentioned, Chip, where, you know, the uh, religious character, you know, comes up with pity. There's, at another point, the teacher is talking to the warrior cast and help warrior cast trainee and helping him dissect, you know, what he's feeling because he didn't go and support his friend. He didn't want to get involved. He didn't want his death to be meaningless. And that leads into this huge philosophical discussion. We've got the discussion with Garibaldi and Lockley, where she defends the fact that, you know, she apparently was ostensibly still on Clark's side, but was um doing her utmost to protect her own ship above all else. And what it meant to her, her her role as a soldier in this conflict. So there's a whole lot of opportunity for JMS to throw things out there at his listeners to see if something sticks.
0: Yeah, um, I'm not sure that that was lots of opportunities for that kind of character exploration, but it could have been doled out a little differently in um, episodes. Uh, I happen, mm-hmm. I had the chance to watch J. At the time we are recording this, uh, JMS, a couple of days before, had shared a, a link to an extended, just absolutely like three hours worth of um, interviews with the Television Academy uh, that he'd done about his career in television, including a fair chunk about Babylon 5, of course. And he's very open about... The challenges that it took to get to the fifth season and how everything had to be restructured because of the last second renewal and Claudia Christian's departure. This episode feels like a response to that. It's not filler as such, but I think that there were several things that could have been better done in the with these 45 minutes.
2: It feels a little like spackle. Spackle. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: That's a great word. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun to say and and I think it perfectly sort of yeah I mean because you are we did have to do this restructuring we don't have Claudia Christian now we've, we've got Tracy Scoggins instead so we've got this person and we have to you know establish her in her character and it makes sense that we don't trust her so Garibaldi is going to be our POV character and I mean to me he just he sort of comes off as a whiny child <laughs> um, and, and I he's always been sort of distrustful so that part of it totally makes sense but his i feel like you know challenging her in front of everybody like that i mean i think it was supposed to be like a calculated move or something to force something out of her but it just i i kind of liked garibaldi when he was a little bit more subtle earlier on and kind of working behind the behind the scenes i feel like since he's had his experience with uh with bester messing around with his head he's i don't know more Churlish, I don't. I don't even quite know how to put it. And and yeah, that scene, that scene just. Maybe it's because I have been watching this show all along, and and I really do feel that. Gosh darn it, you know these are the good guys, and Earth was, you know, President Clark was evil, and he was on the wrong side. I didn't feel like her arguments really that some of them held water. She's mm-hmm. talking about, you know, following orders until one of them violates your conscience. Well, firing on 10,000 civilians, mm-hmm. like that didn't, you know, not that she was a person who did that, but she's, you know, she's working for a regime that was doing that. And in the heat of the moment at the time, sure, she probably wouldn't have known that. But since then, she's in a position of power. She sh- You know, she would have found out that, that that is the kind of stuff that was going on. So I, I feel like if she would have couched it in more terms that, you know, that she didn't know about the atrocities. And therefore, she was going to stick to the chain of command because she didn't get to a point where anything violated her conscience. It just, it felt felt like some of the speckle chipped off a little bit there. I I think JMS is trying
1: too hard to keep her sympathetic and keep her on the good guy's side, even though she ostensibly was not at one time. Uh, I just, I don't, I think he totally failed at that is the mm -hmm, problem. mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I do take her point. Her argument to Garibaldi is that there are more than two sides uh, to this, mm-hmm. and uh, and Garibaldi rejects that out of hand, and I can see both sides, because <laughs> um, it's conceivable to me that she saw what was going on in in other theaters of war and didn't see a way for her to deal with that without compromising her crew's safety or something like that. You'd...
2: And if she would have expressed even a hint of that, mm-hmm. I would have been fine, but right. I didn't feel like that came across in the the, the speech that that she made. Um, so therefore I have a little trouble with everybody applauding her making that speech. That just seemed a little over the top.
0: That that's that really fascinated me that moment and my head canon for that is mm-hmm. that there are nope. two people in that room who who could appear to be traitors to Sheridan and Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. And they are applauding the person who gave the first traitor his head on a platter. That makes sense. What I found more interesting was the scene with Sheridan and Lockley immediately afterward, where yes. Lockley has cooled down. And is evaluating, and she is not considering, you know, we've we've all had or seen people have just brutal, brutal arguments, and it's like the bridges are immediately burned afterward. Uh, she still thinks that she can work with Garibaldi. She's going to play the <laughs> long game with him, and she doesn't she doesn't think that um, having a public showdown with him is the end of any everything is just something that was necessary and moving on. And the quiet confidence in each other that Sheridan and Lockley demonstrate is just really neat to see after that.
2: Yeah, the scene after I think that's that scene way more than her speechifying in the in the breakfast room. Uh I think you know sort of won me over to her to her side a little bit not to her side but just won me over to her as a character uh, because yeah she actually you're right she even says it was good like this was a thing that needed to happen and just the way that she she verbally evaluated it and talked about Garibaldi and just like that was that was great that was she's a very level-headed person and it you know she's she's a no-nonsense person she's going to get the job done and and yeah that was good and
0: Sheridan plays it perfectly too because he's not playing favorites. He supports nope. Michael, he supports Elizabeth. Do you mm-hmm. want me to talk to him? And she says no and that's fine. That's the, and that's the end of it. It's Sheridan yep. being a grown-up.
1: Mhm. Lockley's sort of got a point where she doesn't think it's anyone else's business. She comes out and says, you know that, you know some of her decisions are hers to share or not share as she sees fit. Garibaldi, of course, is is having none of that, and I think Garibaldi's, for the first time, um, considering that he, he immediately goes, you know, chasing after Zach to try and get her personnel file, I think Garibaldi's beginning to feel a bit, you know, out of the loop uh, as far as the station is concerned. In a way, he may not have felt um, in a long time.
0: It's not your job, dude.
2: <laughs> but well, but I but mean, it kind of <laughs> is.
0: Well, I mean, he's 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 alliance. He's intelligence. Alliance account, Intelligence. He's Alliance Intelligence. Mm-hmm. And Lockley is station operations and station securities. Their worlds intersect, but they're not mm-hmm. part of each other's worlds, or at least True. they don't have to be.
2: True, but I mean, it is fundamentally it's his job to, you know, suss out Possible threats and, you know, weaknesses that the alliance might have in an intelligent sort of way. And if there was a person who was in charge of Babylon 5 who was not to be trusted, that would be a giant, giant hole in his in his duty if he were to let that go. So I I feel okay with him wanting to dig into her into her background because that's just that is that is Garibaldi. You know, he did the same thing on Sheridan when Sheridan came aboard like that sort of thing. So yeah. I'm, I'm I just okay kinda... with it. It's just that, you know, yeah, he he doesn't technically have access to that. I feel like he, you know, he, he could probably get it. He just thought that he could go through Zack to get it. And Zack was like, mm-hmm. no way, dude.
1: Yeah, there was a point uh, in a later scene when uh, there was a close-up of him and I was kind of waiting for him to, like, you know, go, you know, peekaboo access or whatever his uh, mm-hmm. password was from way back when. Um, I also, you know, find it interesting that either A, he hasn't gone to ask Sheridan point blank, why her or B if he has, for whatever reason, Sheridan hasn't said enough to convince him. So there's a little like underplay there. That seems like uh, a couple of things are lacking somewhere along the line.
0: Yeah. Um, Let's uh, stick with Garibaldi and let's throw Zach into the picture for just a minute. Um, I do enjoy Garibaldi and Zach's working relationship in this episode yes. and the fact mm-hmm. that Zach Allen and Jeff Conaway as Zach uh, playing Zach Allen they've raised their game. Zach mm-hmm. is the station security chief. It's mm-hmm. it's almost a Garibaldi who kind of situation. Um and he stands up to Garibaldi. He says, "I'll think about helping you when he mm-hmm. when he's talking about uh Lockley's personnel file and things like that." It's a it's a good working relationship between those two and it's so good to see that after the tension from season 4.
2: Yeah, I, I I just find Zach kind of kind of delightful. He is, you know, very clearly meant to be the the comic relief in some of the the tenser scenes here. You know, mm-hmm. talking about like I hate saffron. I think it's saffron. No, <laughs> I think it's garlic. Like mm-hmm. that was, it's it's the kind of thing where had that not been played just right, mm-hmm. it I probably would have really really bugged me. And maybe maybe it still bugged some people. Like it was just a little too much. But for me, that was that was no. right on the nose, and, no. and I appreciated even it even
0: right from the beginning before he starts on the food. Uh, when yeah, uh, just... they start after each other, and he's like. Like, do we want to be having this conversation right now? Right. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, he tries and then he gives up when he sees there's no stopping that train. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like uh, that we get to see uh, a bit of Zach's professional side. Uh, you know, going back to the Underworld stuff where he's investigating the murder and he's spelling out the deductions, um, you know, appa- and in the hearing of uh, the new crime boss wannabe who realizes that, you know, this guy's good and we've got to take him down. Um, the only wrong note that hit me was hearing the Underworld guys refer to him as Zack instead of yeah. Alan or, mm. the, or the station chief. That I have no idea why JMS did that or yeah, if that was a mistaken dialogue that they didn't reshoot.
0: Yeah, that mm. was that was pretty off. Um, that was that was
2: one thing. The other thing that bothered me about that scene, which which was was fine, but just kind of made me cringe, was Zach is just so fed up with all of this. At the end, as he's leaving, he's just like, "I got to get out of here." You know, the stink is really getting to me, which is perfectly a thing that Zach would say. Like, I have no problem with that. It's just that wow you classist bastard (laughs) like just the fact that you know he he
1: this thought he was talking about the stink of fear
2: that's how i took
1: it maybe because he was talking about everyone being so scared i i I, Mm. and i may be wrong but i thought like earlier he said something about i can smell the fear on you possibly so that's what that was my connection i had that thought
2: and then i just it didn't it didn't read that way to me so maybe that's what he meant and I, i just can't imagine that it came it's, across to all of those people <laughs> it's
0: <laughs> it's it's simultaneously the kind of line you would expect to hear from a cop un, in mm-hmm. those circumstances and pretty darn tone deaf uh especially looking at it through 2017 eyes
2: yeah mm-hmm. like i mean if he wants people to to feel safe coming forward and actually telling him information yeah. i just feel like that was the that was mm-hmm. the 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 gruff bad cop way to go about it that's not going to get you anywhere yeah, yeah. That, that uh, regardless of what he that. meant yeah. yeah
0: also uh before we leave uh, garibaldi and zach let's talk about their new recruits uh the funniest unpaid acting because no lines that we got from two telepaths <laughs> that we could have gotten uh, boy they're excited about getting this job right
2: <laughs> jeez and then the fact of course that once again they they don't say a word so mm-hmm. Stephen was just like they are not getting paid to say anything
0: <laughs> correct no i did like zach's skepticism about whether the president's grand idea is going to work out well and uh garibaldi is i don't know if he shares the skepticism but he's certainly not optimistic that's for sure
1: yeah, even though it was his idea, these you know the reality is a little bit different.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good point. You know, he didn't actually say it was my idea when Zack said it the president's idea. He didn't rush to correct him, did he?
2: Well there's two different ideas. There's the president's idea is to let them stay on the station and have a colony. It right. was Garibaldi's idea to, to have them
1: work to have them work.
2: So yeah. it it's maybe unclearest exactly what uh maybe Zach was referring to the president's idea of just having them on the station, period.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of uh, final points before we go to the jump gate. Uh, I wanted to bring up that we learned a little bit and we heard a lot, a, a fair bit about two characters that weren't actually in the episode, Marcus and Lanier. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, it made me feel all nice and warm inside to hear about mm-hmm. Marcus uh, again. It sort of reiterated some of the backstory that we already knew about Marcus, but mentioning just making it crystal clear that marcus was a broken person and came to the rangers for the wrong reason and that's Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. is why he wound up checking out at the end of season four uh and that was a perfect pivot to check in on another character who has only been in the series the season once to this date and that would be lanier Mm -hmm. how's lanier doing
2: not well, it seems. Uh, I I really, really loved the, the the back and forth, specifically from Turhan Bay, uh, talking to Delenn and just saying, you know, uh, another person who might be there for the wrong reason. You know, he he's training too hard. Perhaps he has something to prove to himself mm-hmm. or the world, someone or else. maybe someone else. So subtly, not subtle. It was it was perfect <laughs> and. And, you know, you could tell it was being received exactly as it was meant to be received by Delenn. And she uses a very, very few words, just, you know, she with she, more facial expressions. But I, I thought it was a, a great exchange. and But it doesn't really leave us with anything because, I mean, I think we all kind of had the feeling that, that Lanier was kind of going for the wrong reason. So to find out that he's been training too hard and he might have something to prove isn't a big surprise. And we don't get anything beyond that. We just get Delenn saying, you know, if he continues in this manner, you know, let me know. So it's it's nice. I, I get the warm fuzzies with the, the check-in on him, just like you did, Chip. But I was also sort of left wanting more, which I
1: guess is what you want
2: in a serialized television.
1: Indeed.
0: Mm-hmm. Any other bits before spoiler space?
1: Something that leaped out at me when we were talking about uh, the Ranger recruits that I found interesting uh, was the fact that JMS played it perfectly. As far as how he has set up the Mimbari culture as a rule, that it was the religious caste member of the rangers who went charging in to help because somebody needed help, while the warrior caste... Uh, did not want to. The, he did not want to get involved, and, and he went the other way. And then he wound up feeling really super guilty about it. I, I kind of like that commentary from JMS that the person who is acting from the good of their heart rather than for the um, betterment of their race, I guess um glory yeah that sort of thing yeah Mm -hmm. glory yeah duh because he's afraid Mm -hmm. of his death being meaningless um Mm -hmm. i i really like the way jms sort of played that off um in action and in very succinct dialogue choices uh for those characters
0: erica any final thoughts about uh, learning curve or shall we shift over to our control group check-in
2: well, I got to tell you, I don't have any other thoughts. And Steven really didn't either. There wasn't, <laughs> there wasn't much to this one. It just it really felt like it was just an episode of, of television that we watched. You know, it was done. I was like, what, what did you think of this one? He's like, it was OK. Mm-hmm. He said, but, you know, but I like the main characters of Babylon 5. And when they're not in episodes, he just sort of trailed off. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there wasn't. There was like he didn't he didn't say much as it was going on. There wasn't a whole lot of like laughter or anything. We just we sat there and we watched it and then it was done. And then we went about our business and did something else.
0: Yeah. And that really brings us all the way back to the evaluation that this does feel like a, se- a season one episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Season five has felt a little bit more like season one. We've the, the pacing is a little different and we are Getting some of these slice of life kinds of episodes that we got back then, that after you've been on the constantly accelerating treadmill that has been the Babylon Five story arc, for it to slow down a bit, that is mm-hmm. kind of surprising.
2: Mm-hmm. It just it just feels unnatural.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, it feels strange.
1: And Something it feels like sort of something's missing, and basically, you know, the biggest story arcs of the of this series have been sh- have been finished, and uh, whatever the story arcs are for this season, don't feel like they've really taken hold yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe that will change with the next episode of Babylon Five, which is Strange Relations. We'll have to find out in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, (laughs) if you've got thoughts about Learning Curve, uh, we'd love you to share them in our spoiler and non-spoiler threads over at b5audioguide.com. We'd like you to send us a tweet at b5audioguide. Share what you thought. We get such great comments on these episodes. Yeah. It makes makes me really happy. This is a 20-year-old series that is only available on streaming channels and on slightly technologically comp- compromised DVDs. But people still care about this uh, show quite a bit, and they've got such great things to say about it in the comments at b 5 com. So thank you very much from the bottom of our collective hearts. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to have to say goodbye to some of you because we're going to talk about a few spoilery things that may have been seeded in this episode for future episodes. So if you'll strap right back into your uh, hyperspace jumpy seats or whatever you call those things, (laughs) I kind of had a thought there and I just lost it. Oh, what the hell? Let's just go into the jump gate now, shall we? And we're back, but not for long, because this <laughs> doesn't have. This is a slice of life episode, but I did want to mention that we will briefly see Tenier again. It's going to be a different actor, but he is oh. going to be the captain of a ship called the Valen in the uh-huh. ill-fated pilot for a third babylon 5 spinoff series called the legend of the rangers uh that aired on the sci-fi channel and is available on dvd babylon 5 colon the legend of the rangers colon to live and die in starlight colon no more subtitles sorry (laughs) but he'll be the captain of the valen which is a inelegantly to put it mildly uh, designed a ship possibly a forerunner of the excalibur from crusade uh and he's going to have a ship full of interstellar alliance ambassadors on board including jakar and they get attacked by an ancient unseen unknown alien threat stop me before you've,
2: yeah, one of yeah, you've heard, heard that heard one, one. <laughs> before <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: um and uh he gets the ambassadors to the life pod to the uh other ship uh that would have been the focal point of the legend of the rangers and he rams his ship, the Valen, into the alien ship to save everybody. So Tanir sacrifices himself for the greater good.
2: Yeah. Good for him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess well, it was
2: after his stint as being a, a house guard on Minbar?
0: I guess. I guess must have been and he. Ra- yep. He rises quickly to captain. It was definitely intended to be the same character, although not hmm. played by the same actor.
2: Then why have it be the same character? Just like it's that just doesn't seem important enough to me to to want to make that link.
0: I don't know either, and he didn't last long enough in the episode. So <laughs> whatever, <Yeah>. I. <laughs> this is this is a i'm trying to give you something for spoiler space here there's sorry i've
1: I've, we just finished recording uh, our season four voltron podcast this week all i could think of was um another character pulling the same move so (laughs)
0: let's talk about sheridan and lockley shall we
2: (laughs) Yes. Actually, oh, I, for- I didn't mention it uh, in pre-spoiler space. But yeah, Stephen was confused at the end, I think, just because I, th- I feel like in a way he's been somewhat scarred by the experience of watching Babylon 5 because there's so much stuff to try to keep <laughs> track of. And he's not allowed access to like you know the the resources that he would have had if he would have been watching it in real time so he forgets a lot of things so we came to the end with that scene with uh with sheridan and delen and she's all she's all huffy and you know about 10 seconds after he thought of it would have been good and and steven was just like my like He's like, that That was confusing. And I was like, wait, he's like, am I supposed to know what it is? And I was like, no, they haven't said anything about it. He's like, right, oh, OK. Right. So he he just thought it was something that he had missed and was left sort of feeling kind of disgruntled at the end. And I had to point out, no, nope, it's just a thing that, you know, they're leaving us hanging. He's like, oh, yeah. OK.
0: But the evidence is kind of there and it's not going to come as out of I'll be interested to see if he feels like it's come out of left field because again this is all retrospective mm-hmm. stuff but from the way Sheridan and Lockley related to each other in the very first episode of the season no compromises
1: mm-hmm. right
0: to the conversations that they have in the uh in, in the elevator um and the the and Lockley's Her line very- about Lockley's lying about second
1: stubborn man yeah mm-hmm. the,
0: the se- yeah. yeah the, the second st- person that she's met who's as second man she's met who's as stubborn as she is you know to Buck's like there's perfect expression <laughs> when uh when delin asks what Lockley meant when she said <laughs> that that wasn't like him at all and he knows that the jig is up and he's got to tell and he c- he can't mm-hmm. put off telling lend this anymore it's all seated
2: mhm well, it, it is seated in a fifth in fifth season terms. So like the the two actors, uh, the way that they interact with each other is, is all done perfectly. But I don't think that that erases the fact that it's a giant retcon, because if you sort mm-hmm. of ignore the interaction between the actors and you take everything that happened before that, it just it seems really weird and unlikely that this is a thing that he wouldn't have Bothered to mention before. Like, it really never came up in all of their conversations. It just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it still, it still feels like a very tacked on thing. And I think they did as good a job as they possibly could spackling over it with uh, (laughs) the, with the delightful, delightful acting and, and, and sort of, you know, building it into the fifth season. But, it doesn't matter how elegant that uh, that house is if you have built it on a foundation that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense.
0: That's true, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the contributors to the Lurker's Guide at Midwinter dot com slash lurk, if you've forgotten, um, one of the commenters points out that we had a newscast biography of Sheridan, mm-hmm. and right. it never mentioned. That it mentioned his, it mentioned Anna Sheridan, but it never mm-hmm. mentioned Lockley.
2: Mm-hmm. And it also, we had in this episode, Garibaldi reminding us that he pulled Sheridan's file when Sheridan came on board. So, you know, you'd yeah, think that that information true. would have been in there. So Garibaldi would have known it already from the Sheridan side. Like, you know, why would that be in her file if it's not in his? Yeah. It that's must have a very been good one hell of an
0: annulment. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> In the future, annulments are actually a much bigger deal than they are now. They really they like erase it from history.
0: <laughs> now, now we're getting into Doctor Who territory.
2: Yes, yes. <laughs>
0: uh, and uh, you know, it's just a little bit of the telepath subplot here, uh, but you get the feeling that these telepaths feel like they're being used,
2: which mm-hmm. they are.
0: Which they are. And they're not going to be. They're not happy about it. They're not going to be happy about Mm -hmm. it. It's all going to end in tears. Uh, Um, I do like that. This is a idea that separately Sheridan and Garibaldi had different parts of it, and it's going to blow up in Mm -hmm. both of their faces. And Mm -hmm. I do think that that's actually kind of audacious. That part of the subplot of the first season is Sheridan and Garibaldi make plans and they are too smart for their own good and it all just sort (laughs) of falls apart for them and this i think Mm -hmm. the scene in this episode's a bit of a hint for that
1: yep yeah yeah i did like how you know garibaldi was sort of presenting it as he was it felt to me like he was being reasonably honest about everything it's like i'm not sure how this is going to work i'm not sure what sorts of things you know we're going to do but you know we we really need you on board even despite mm-hmm. all that,
0: yeah, and the telepaths are just sitting there going, "Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, we know why you're saying that. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Do you? Mm-hmm. Do we think you really care about us? Nope, nope. Do you? Do we think that you're treating us like tools? Yep, we do.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although on the other hand, like they asked for a job, like they wanted to. Yeah, they did say know, they, they wanted want... to work. Yeah, right. So I, I mean. When you get right down to it, if they're just going to take jobs, you know, as janitors and stuff like that, that's not enough to rate an entire like space on a space station. That's that's kind of ridiculous. So the idea that they have something like this to offer and that they're asked to use it, I don't think that that's unreasonable. That's just me. Mm-hmm.
0: We've got another crack in the wall here between Lockley and Delin and Sheridan. Uh, Lockley's going to get really tired soon of being overruled,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. and
0: and Delin does it to her this time.
2: Mm-hmm. Which uh, she's going to. I, I don't feel like she had Lockley had a great leg to stand on here. I mean, this this the thing that happened happened to a ranger. Why should the rangers who everybody signed on, like Dylan said, everybody signed on that like these guys are these guys are okay, They have jurisdiction. Why should they not be able to handle it? It's sort of like, you know, when when something crosses state lines, it's an FBI deal. Well, when something happens to a ranger, shouldn't a ranger take care of it? That just seems like perfect logic to me.
1: Well, but again, and this is sort of why I thought learning curve could apply to Lockley's situation as well, Mm -hmm. because, you know, she is new to handling a station versus a ship where, you know, on a ship, she undoubtedly has the final say as a captain of the ship. Uh, But here on the space station, she has got to deal with politics. And this is the second time she's come up against politics. And this Mm -hmm. time it's not just her ex-husband, but it's, you know, his current wife Um, (laughs) and and, and a a, a military and a culture, an alien culture that she, you know, does not know, except as, you know, on the other side of uh, the Earth-Mimbari War.
2: Mm hmm.
0: Any other final thoughts before we put learning curve to bed?
1: No, let's put it to bed.
0: <laughs> I didn't hate it. Some,
1: some delightful guest nope. acting, some delightful yep. guest acting and, you know, some interesting world building. But, you know, again, mm-hmm. uh, world world building tends to happen in the first season.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in a season with lots and lots of ice cream episodes, it sounds like this one was a frozen yogurt.
1: It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Up to this point, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see how strange relations goes next time with the return of Bester and him and Byron getting together and that not going well and the final revelation of Lockley and Sheridan. And I can't wait for this, the best bodyguard assignment in Babylon 5 history. (laughs) We will come back to strange relations next time on the audio guide to babylon 5 until then this is chip and durham
1: Erica in edmonton and shannon and durham
0: thanks for listening we'll see you next time